But for those who listen to it, powerful still, where is the love? 2003. Bear with me as I change my tone a little bit here. What's the wrong, what's wrong with the world, mama? People living like they ain't got no mamas. I think the whole world's addicted to the drama, only attracted to the things that'll bring a trauma. Overseas, we're trying to stop terrorism, but we still got terrorists here living in the USA. The big CIA, the Bloods, the Crips, the KKK. But if you only got love for your own race, then you only leave space to discriminate. And discriminate only generates hate. And when you hate, then you're bound to get irate. Madness is what you demonstrate. And that's exactly how anger works and operates. Man, you got to have love. This will set us straight. Take control of your mind and meditate. Let your soul gravitate to the love. People killing, people dying, children hurting, and you hear them crying. Will you practice what you preach? Will you turn the other cheek? Father, Father, help us. Send us some guidance from above. These people got me. They got me questioning where is the love. Just ain't the same. Old ways have changed. New days are strange. Is world insane? If love and peace is so strong, why are there pieces of love that don't belong? Nations dropping bombs, chemical gases filling lungs of little ones. With ongoing suffering as the youth die young. So ask yourself, is the love really gone? So I can ask myself, really what is going wrong? With this world that we live in, people keep on giving in, making wrong decisions, only visions of them dividends, not respecting each other, denying thy brother, and wars going on, but the reasons undercover. The truth is kept secret and swept under the rug. If you never know truth, then you'll never know love. Where's the love, y'all? I don't know. It's a sad song, continuing questioning, where's the love? Never really a resounding hope that Henry Wad. Uh, Longfellow put out at the end, but just the question, where is the truth? Where is the love? It was in the 1960s, Langston Hughes writes, I'm so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. As we see what's going on, those who lived in the 1960s and 70s think, how is it that things are repeating to some degree that was repeated back in the 1860s that keeps on repeating? The question is very much at the heart, what's broken? So sharing with some of my family just to say, you know, as I, I see what's going on with Eric Garner, and I see the issue of black society, I see the issue of American white society, and I see things that are broken in all the societies. And so we have these movements where frustration peaks. It gets to the point where we say, you know, why is it that American society might see blacks and male blacks as less than human and treating them? And then a white society says, why is it we don't respect authority? What's broken here? And they're both questions at heart. And the simple solution is not going to be found in protest or in American laws or in an African-American president or senators, representatives. Democracy is not the answer 
You see some of it in Martin Luther King, not in just what he said, but in how he protested that there is a love that sacrifices and there is a call to a radical love, as he wrote in his letter from prison. As we read this, I think about what we just read in Ephesians chapter 1. What is the fullness of time? It is God's plan to do two things in the fullness of time, and that is simply the redemption of our souls and uniting all things together. That is God's plan through Jesus Christ, which is why the shepherds were able to announce that there is going to be a peace toward those who are of goodwill. And so the question is begged, if that's true, then why isn't there peace yet? Peace for whom? I would say to you that without faith in Jesus Christ, it is impossible to have peace. It is impossible to experience the working of God without Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said that this is judgment, that light has come into the world and man love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. When the baby Jesus was presented at the, ta- at the temple, it was said then, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is spoken again that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There's going to be suffering that comes with Jesus Christ. But yet Jesus says, while he walks this earth, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus does give a peace, but it's not a peace for the entire earth yet. There is a peace that is unique. In fact, Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. So let's talk a little bit about how this peace can be found. It is God's plan for it. So as we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, this this idea of fullness of time. He says, in the fullness of time, we're going to have redemption through his blood. Referring to Jesus, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace see there this idea of fullness of town and time is also given in galatians chapter 4 we talked about this a couple years ago of fullness of time in galatians 4 verse 7 it says when the fullness of time had come god sent forth his son born of a woman born under law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons So when Jesus comes as God in flesh, as a human uh, baby, to Mary, first of all, it is telling us in Galatians, when that happens, God is bringing redemption to us. You see, the simple idea of redemption is that without God working in our life, we are going to be lost. If you ever have had some treasure that you had that you took to the pawn shop because you needed some cash fast, the idea is you take this treasure this valuable thing you deposit it there they give you some money for it now 
If things remain the same, whatever you deposit, if you deposit a chainsaw, ring, gun, all kinds of things you see at a pawn shop, well, that's lost to you, right? It is no longer of use to you. Someone else is liable to buy it. That gun, that ring, that chainsaw, that power equipment, whatever it might be, that TV, what, it's now no longer available to you. Unless, somehow, you are able to get the money back. And if getting the money back, you take it back to the pawn shop and you redeem your item. It, you give the money back for it, and now this chainsaw, this power equipment, this jewelry is now at your disposal in, at, at that point. So the idea of redemption is that our bodies, our soul, unless God intervenes, is lost. It's broken on the inside, and it's futility in our energy and in our life. And no matter how good we are, how many uh, disciplines and things that we have in our life, whatever our network is, it doesn't really matter, because before God, our soul is lost. And time is wasted. And so when Jesus comes in on that, that first Christmas morning, the idea is he's going to come and he's going to install a way for God to buy you back. So what is the price? Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The price is not some dollar amount. It is the blood of Jesus. You see, Jesus wasn't just a man. He was also God in flesh. Therefore, his blood had eternal quality. So when Jesus dies on the cross for sin, sheds his blood, it is of eternal quality so that it can take care of all my sins, past, present, future. All right? Now, imagine, just imagine one of your sins. Just pick one. <laughs> all right? You've got that one. Consider how that one sin is an act of treason, not against a governor, not against a police officer, not against a president, not against a king, not against an emperor, but against God himself. You see, crime and sin has greater magnitude depending on who the sin is against. You slap me, no big deal. You slap the president, yeah, you got something coming to you. You slap God, it gets infinitely more offensive. So just that one sin. Now consider the fact that this is the world you made, that God made. And that sin is against the one who sustains you, the one who birthed you, the one who knows every molecule and, and with the word can allow you to disintegrate with just a word. You are being held in his hand. And so when he sinned against him, you put your very being at stake. Now consider, what has God done for you to sin against him? Has he been heinous towards you? Has he been mean towards you in some way? But instead we see that the very life you have is given to you by God, and that God instead sent his son to die for you. And so when our sin is against a, a powerful God, it's also against a loving God. It's also against a wise God. You see the heinous nature of that sin? Imagine the, the guilt you feel, the remorse you feel, the, the, the regret, how you wish you could go back and undo that one sin. And you multiply that times all of your sin in your life. 
I think you just multiply it times the people in this room. You multiply it times all the people who believe in Jesus Christ in this world, and you multiply that times all the people who have ever existed and will exist who have trusted in Jesus. You get a degree of understanding the sin and burden that was on Jesus. And so the great question I have, if that big weight, is it really enough that the blood of one man can satisfy God's wrath for that sin? Is that really true? If it's just a man, no. But if it's God as a man shedding his blood, still the question is, is his righteousness, is his love, is his life greater than my sin, greater than my death? The resurrection comes and says, yes. Yes. What's the big deal about resurrection? The big deal is that Jesus took the weight of all of my sin, all of my death, across the world, and his life is greater than my sin. His righteousness is greater than my guilt. And the blood is shed to redeem you, redeem me, to say that I am bought back, I'm no longer wasted to follow the whims of Satan but I can be brought back to the purposes of God. The redemption is given to us in the fullness of time. Galatians 4, through, verses 4 through 7 says, the fullness of time redemption is, we see it in Jesus' birth. The incarnation. Christmas. So we'll keep on reading. I, won't, I don't have time to go into all these words in detail. It says, this is done according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. What was once unknown now is being revealed. What is God's plan? What is his plan? According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. In other words, this purpose was started rolling in Christ's intervention in this world. What is it? Verse 10. Tonight, all things in him things in heaven and things on earth which tells me that in the fullness of time not only is there the redemption of christ in the fullness of time there is unity in christ all right there is unity in christ and so this is yet to be fulfilled the fullness of time has not yet quite come we've seen the fullness of time in redemption But that which time exists, the fulfillment of time, why does it exist? It exists eventually to bring out God's plan, which is to unite everyone, everything in Christ. Now what looks like confusion is actually God's working. Have you ever seen a beehive? Have you ever seen a colony, you go to the fair or some other places, you've got that glass pane where you can see all the bees? You look at it and think... This is just like one big mess. This is, how, how, what's going on here? You know, they, they call it a swarm for a reason. You see that? Like, is there any order to this swarm? It just looks like one bee crawling all over another. Who knows what they're doing? But there really is a plan. There really is a function. But for us, not knowing, it's hard for us to see that. Now, you can imagine a, a, a bee explaining your day to a bee what on earth are you doing you're sitting there watching the tv how does that how does that further the colony you know i mean we would have a hard time explaining to a bee wouldn't we 
Well, see, what you've got here is mankind, and what looks to us like mass confusion is actually God still at work toward the purposes that he has in mind. Now, you read this and we think, okay, all right, pastor, you say that God has a plan to unite all things, and that it's going to be done in the fullness of time. If that's true, then why do people kill one another? If that is true, to unite all things, why is it that all throughout history, races, human races, cannot seem to see each other as equal before God? If that is true. Good question. I would present to you that as in Scripture teaches us that God is in control of all time, but part of that plan is to allow humans to make choices, to allow them some will, some freedom of will to some degree that is still underneath God's sovereignty, His control. And in that, God has given them the choice to either receive Christ, love Christ, or reject Christ, to love what is right, or to reject what is right, and And then they're also limited by their own minds. And so they're going to make mistakes and they have a tendency of making these decisions that are good and bad. And you're going to see in your lifetime, in one year, multitude of decisions, both good and bad. But one way to possibly understand this as a metaphor, and it's all metaphors are going to break down at this point. But understand that there is in time God's mighty river that is flowing toward his plan his designation but within that river there will be fish and all kinds of marine life that will have decisions and abilities to flow within that river but it doesn't matter where they're flowing within that river the river is taking them somewhere so in our life we will have ability and decisions to to do what's right to do what is wrong to follow god to disobey god to love him to love ourselves But within still, God is moving through history in a mighty river toward his destination. And he is giving us what that destination is in Ephesians. The purpose of God is to unite all things in him. So one of the big questions is, when is that going to happen? If God is in control, if God is sovereign, when is it, how is it that he's going to allow one more human to be beheaded? How is it that God is going to allow one more injustice thing happen? How is it that God's going to allow a system that has sin in it? Well, one of the things that happen if uh, you have children is you go on a trip, and for us, Thanksgiving, we go to uh, Mimi and Papa's in Shelby, North Carolina, and so that's uh, uh, about a three-hour drive. Um, but when you've got a, a four-year-old and a six-year-old, uh, time is kind of a hard thing to, to follow. Uh, and so we will tell them, we're going to go to Mimi and Papa's house. So in their mind, that thinks, okay, we'll probably get in a car, and we'll get out of the car, and we'll be there at their house. And that ought to take 5, 10, 15 minutes like everything else we go to. And so inevitably, as you get in the car, one of the questions that come is, yeah, you know, 10 minutes in the trip. So have you ever tried to explain that to a child? 
Well, no, son, you see, we can't, we're not going to be there yet because it's, it's uh, you know, it's some um, 200 miles from here to there, and we're going, you know, 60, 65, 70 miles an hour. Uh, and so at that rate, and, and you say, well, you know, there's distance you've got to travel, and so if you're going 70 miles an hour, and you multiply that into how many miles, okay, it's going to be three hours. Have you ever tried doing that? No. No, you don't. Because they don't get it. And I say, they'll listen to you and say, okay, great, Dad, but when are we going to get there? You know? You can't break it down. You just tell them, you know what? We're not really going to meet me and Papa's right now. We're just going to get in a car. We're going to stay here. We'll let you know when we're going to go to meet me and Papa's house. All right? You just hang tight, go to sleep, do whatever. All right? When we look at life, and we ask this question, God, when are we going to get there? You say that we're headed toward unity. But yet I don't understand why there's so much polarization going on. And folks are saying, you know, I'm kind of tired of waiting for, for life to be good, for this world to be good. And you got someone else saying, you know, where is the love in this? Something's not working right. And all those Christmas bells seem like a hollow ring. When is it going to happen? Do you think it's possible that it might be that we cannot yet understand what God is doing and how it is that we're going to get from here to there? And we protest and say, God, you cannot exist. Because if you exist, then we ought to be there by now. It is akin to saying to mom and dad, mom and dad, you don't exist. This car doesn't exist because if this is true, we ought to be at grandma's house. No. God is working still acts chapter 2 verse 32 kind of gives us a little insight and in how it is that he's working at pentecost peter's preaching we looked at this not too long ago and he's referring to the leaders that killed jesus and he says this jesus god raised up and of all that we are witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And he's quoting Psalm 110. What he's saying is, in Psalm 110, God is saying to Jesus, Sit here until I make all your enemies your footstool. Everything's going to be united in one, in Christ. And it's done by Jesus being head over all. And so, now that Jesus has ascended, he is sending his Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of the kingdom of God, the Spirit of Jesus, and so that those who receive Jesus, believe in Jesus, follow Jesus, have this Spirit within them that is the Spirit of heaven, the Spirit of Jesus, in which there is a unification in our own heart as we've been redeemed. And the Spirit is going to work through the church as one body that represents Jesus Christ and that now no longer barbarian or Scythian, Greek, 
or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, African-American or Caucasian or Middle Eastern or Chinese. None of these really is the driving point. They have been made obsolete because Christ is center and this spirit of Christ is within the church and the church is operating as a colony of heaven of which is coming. And one day Jesus is going to come back because he's already on the throne and it's just a waiting time when all nations will bow down before Jesus and everything is united. That's our future and that's what Peter was alluding to. So how do we as Christians deal in a society in America where there is injustice, where there is hate, where there is racism? How do we deal with it as Christians? Our, our mantra then is not to say, let's all be united. That's not our mantra. Our mantra instead is, let's all be in Christ. Unification doesn't come because unification is the goal. It comes because there's something greater than all that opposes us. And that's Jesus. You know, one of the movies in The Mighty Titans it follows a, a historical case of a football team uh, in, in the South in the 1970s as they were trying to be integrated and how football became the tool in that school to help with that. But the problem is, and it's kind of made tell, told in reality, when one of the football players gets an action, is no longer able to play football. That which ties them, unites them, is no longer true. We've got to have a goal that is greater than anything that this world can throw at it to destroy. And football's not it. Sports is not it. God can use those things to help. But when it's all said and done, football can't do it. Nor any other sport, nor any other government. There's got to be something greater, and that is found in Jesus Christ, because there is no force that can oppose Jesus. So, what does that mean as Christians? We surrender to the Holy Spirit. It has always been our hope. It has always been the answer. One of the things that's tough about America is that this is a diverse country, and yet we seem to have fewer and fewer unifying goals and values. So do not be surprised if the country disintegrates and dissolves. That's the nature of humanity. Which country do we ever look back in history and say, look how they rise, without seeing them also disintegrate? Humanity is not evolving into a better state. There's several points here where evolution just falls under reality. If you believe in evolution, racism isn't a problem. If you believe in evolution, racism is the mandate. Survival of the fittest. If you believe in evolution, then I don't know how you explain countries moving into dissolution and disintegration. You see, the fact is God has made this world to be built upon the axis of Jesus Christ. It's like a, a clock. You've got a center cog. And that center cog is to be Jesus Christ, but he's given choices. And those parts in that clock have said, no, we don't want it to be about Jesus Christ. And so they center it on themselves. And so the center axis falls out of the clock. And so don't be surprised when the gears are grinding and smoke's filling the clock. That's where we are. And we will be. The solution 
is not to say to all the gears, oh, y'all just got to get along. But it is to put the central cog back into the clock of which everything revolves around. Let me just say a word of just personal encouragement. Our church is blessed in that we have have had different races in our church. That is a blessing. It is a sign of the gospel that races come together in worship of the Lord. Let me just make this observation. We've had some African-American families and African families. We actually have probably more African families than African-American families. But they don't join this church because they see the whites' way of worship as agreeable. They don't join this church because our perspective is right. That's not the reason. African Americans and Africans and Hispanics, and other races are to join your church because they want to see Christ. It's not a conforming to Caucasian or white. It's conforming to Christ. So understand, Afri- um, a Caucasian of us, it's not our perspective that is to prevail. It is not our methodology, our style, that is the prevailing one. It is to say, let Christ prevail. And if a church is submissive to the Holy Spirit and to Christ, it will open up doors for all races to come in because they are looking not for white style of worship or white perspective of society. They are looking for Christ. And so one of the questions we have to ask as the majority race in this church, is the majority race going to be the, the main influence or is it going to be Christ? And Christ is countercultural to every culture. But I would commend those families that are African American or African because you have moved against the tide. You've moved against the tide where we separate and we get into our own tribes. It's a challenge to those of us who have not done that, would we? Would we? Is Christ more important than our style? It's a tough question, isn't it? But church is to be a colony of heaven where the predominant thing is Christ. And so he says, in the fullness of time, he's going to unite all things. Isn't that great? That means every little thing. Do you know there's not a little thing that happens that is not under God's direction? I used to love a little book, um, a children's book called Little Bug That Went a Chew. I loved it for some reason. It's just the reasoning and logic of one little bug that sneezed and caused a flower petal to fall and this huge chain of events occurred that gridlocked a city. I just I don't know. I love that type of thing. But you know, God does stuff like that. I mean, if you were able to trace back, some, one of the things that's fun about talking to older members, younger folks, talk to the older members and say, tell me about your life. How has God worked? 
And they will inevitably start talking about little things. Little things that they, they've been pondering and how God intervened and little things and how as they saw time devolve, they changed the whole direction of their life. God is uniting all things in Him. The little things. That means also the things of mankind's choices. When people make bad choices and when they make good choices, God in His time is going to redeem and unite all the choices of mankind. So when Hitler with his henchmen says, hey, you know what, let's just get rid of the Jewish race. And I don't understand how that can be. But I do believe I do believe that when Jesus comes back, that all things are going to come together and it's going to be united in Christ. And I'm going to see from God's perspective, His point of view, how these things work. All things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. When we know that when Jesus becomes head and king over all, Death will die. All things. Death is going to be united in Christ. It's going to find its place under the head of Jesus and death will no longer have force. Decay will finally decay. Inevitably questions sometimes ask, how old are you going to be in heaven? I have no clue. Hadn't been there. But I do know there will be no decay. So maybe we'll be 60 without decay. I don't know. I have no clue. But I do know there is no decay. Death, decay will finally decay. Disunity will disunite. Sickness will get terminally ill. Endings will be ended. Violence will be violated. Destruction will be destroyed. I has not seen, nor ear has yet heard all that is entered in and in store for those who love Him. In the fullness of time, when God came in and intervened, it's like God came into that clock. He said, you guys messed up the whole clock. But here's Jesus, right in the midst of it all. God comes into the clock and Jesus declares, I am the I am. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am from which everything comes, and I am for which everything comes, including your marriage, your children, your job, your disease, your loneliness, your depression, your death, and the death of others. It's all coming to an end, and it is a glorious end. So meanwhile, we grieve. When we see Eric Garner die, on video, we grieve. And we grieve all the processes that brought it to that point. And we grieve the state of humanity in America. But it drives me to say, oh God, I need your Holy Spirit. Jesus, you are the answer. And I can show the answer if I'm surrendered to the Spirit of God. Let's pray.